0: Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue with the Oracle of Moab today in Isaiah chapter 16. Send the Lamb to the ruler of the land, from Salah by way of the desert to the mount of the daughter of Zion. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice. Make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcast. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is of his arrogance, his pride and his insolence. In his idle boasting he is not right. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab, let everyone wail, mourn utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of Kir On the fields of Heshbon languish and the vine of Sibma, The lords of the nations have struck down its branches, which reached to Jazer and strayed to the desert. Its shoots spread abroad and passed over the sea. Therefore, I weep with the weeping of Jazer for the vine of Sibma. I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Elilah. For over your summer fruit and your harvest, the shout has ceased and joy and gladness are taken away from the fruitful field. And in the vineyards no songs are sung, no cheers are raised, no treader treads out wine in the presses. I have put an end to the shouting. Therefore my inner parts moan like a lyre for Moab, and my inmost self for Kir Haraseth. And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. This is the word that Yahweh spoke concerning Moab in the past. But now Yahweh has spoken, saying, In three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt, in spite of all his great multitude, and those who remain will be very few and feeble. This is the word of the Lord. So chapter 15 was about the judgment God would bring upon Moab. Chapter 16 begins with the opportunity for Moab to repent and to be spared from that judgment. However, as the chapter continues, Moab rejects that, continues in their idolatry and in their their pride and in their their false gods, uh, and, and it leads to their permanent destruction. So let's unpack it a little bit here. Uh, We begin with that, that call to repentance, send the lamb. This is a a bit like Isaiah chapter 2, where we learn that nations would gather to Jerusalem. This is a call that the Moabites would send offerings, that they would send sacrifices to Jerusalem. And we, we, as Christians today, uh, New Testament people, we think of forgiveness in Christ, and that is certainly true. Forgiveness in the Old Testament times, though, was done via sacrifice. This is a call to repent and to be forgiven that is being given to the Moabites right here. Uh, Verse 2, similar to what we saw in chapter 15, that the Moabites would be fleeing. Uh, We saw that in several verses. We get it again here. Verses 3 through 5 are the call for the Israelites to take in Moabites who are fleeing. We saw this in chapter 14 verses 1 and 2 that Israel would be restored and that there would be a reversal of roles. Those who were oppressing Israel would now end up being underneath the authority of Israel. And so here is a a glimpse of that as the Moabites are called to this, but we're going to see in the next verses they reject this. So. That Israel would give them counsel, give them justice, shelter their outcasts, those kinds of phrases, that they would let their them sojourn in Israel and shelter them from the destroyer, which is a really neat phrase. We'll come back to that in just a moment. I wanted to look at that phrase in verse 3 first. Make your shade like night at the height of noon. Night is darkness. And so the darkness of night provides a complete covering over the land so that you can't see. Uh, and so the the idea here in verse 3 is that they would make make their shade at the height of noon like night. I guess the, the word order might throw us off a little bit in English. Essentially, make your make your care for the Moabites all-encompassing. Protect them, shelter them, cover them underneath your your care, your provision. That's the idea in verse 3. A shelter to them from the destroyer. This may bring your mind back to the Exodus account, to the Passover account, the the destroyer being being God himself who would come and and the plague of the, tenth, the firstborn, the 10th plague, that God would wipe out the firstborn in every household. But the blood of the lamb of the Passover, the sacrifice painted on their doors, sheltered the Israelites from that, that plague. And so here the Israelites are to be a shelter to protect the Moabites from the destruction that was to come, the judgment that was to come. And then verse 5 is going to point us, and this is the question to ask your children, I mean, as you read verses 4 and 5 together, uh, the last part of verse 4 into 5, ask your children, who are you reading about? Who is the one that rules with steadfast love, who is faithful, who sits on the throne, who is of the house of David, who judges, who is righteous? Who is this? Who are we talking about? This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the Christ who was and is to come. I really like that phrase steadfast love uh, in the Old Testament. It is one of the great words in the Old Testament. and uh, The Hebrew word is hesed. Uh, it's a little hard to pronounce the guttural at the beginning of the word. Um, Ultimately, it talks about steadfast love and faithfulness and keeping of the covenant. Those kinds of phrases fit in. Every time you see it in the the ESV text, it will be translated as steadfast love. So that helps you track this word and how often it gets used in the Old Testament. But this is just one of those profoundly deep words like agape in the New Testament. The Greek word agape, the unconditional love that God has for his people. This is God's faithfulness here. To his covenant. So Jesus, the one who will sit on the throne, will be faithful to the promises. God is faithful first in putting Jesus on the throne forever. And then Jesus is forever faithful from that throne of ruling over his people, caring for them, forgiving them. Uh, just It's a wonderful word. Uh, so my mind is always drawn to it when I see that steadfast love phrase in, in an Old Testament reading. All right, as we look then, though, to verse 6 and onward, the rest of the chapter, we learn that Moab resists. They reject this opportunity, this call to repent. They stick themselves in their pride. And as a reminder, pride in the scripture is almost always negative. There are a handful of uses of pride or boasting in a positive sense, but all of those are pointing to Christ and to what he does for us. When we take pride in ourselves, it is sin. Pride is boasting in me and what I've done. Look at how great I am. Look at how I can care for myself. Look at how independent I am, whatever it may be. And that's exactly what does the Moabites in here, is that they continue to look to themselves. They continue to think of how, how they can care for themselves, how they can rescue themselves. Instead of repenting and allowing the Lord to forgive them, rejecting his call to bring them home. In verse 7, uh, the raisin cakes are uh, really their festival food. And so uh, there, there will be no more celebration in Moab. In verse 8, we get a couple of symbols of life, the idea of branches and shoots. Uh, The idea that as a garden grows, you can either tend to it, you can care for it, or you can cut stuff out of it. And when you cut stuff out of your garden, you're killing it. You're destroying it. And so God here is cutting down the branches. He's cutting out the shoots. He's destroying Moab in judgment. But it's it's not that this is something that God delights in. We see this, we've seen it before, and we see it a couple more times in the next two or three verses here. Verse nine, therefore I weep. It's God speaking. I drench you with my tears. Verse 11, my inner parts moan like a lyre. And that's not L-I-A-R, it's L-Y-R-E, the musical instrument, kind of like a small harp. God is the one who is able to judge to do so rightly and, and to lament at the same time. It's like the parent who watches their child harm themselves, doing terrible things, foolish things that get them into all sorts of trouble. The parent has to has to provide that discipline in the life of the child, but they don't discipline for the fun of disciplining. Parents will often say, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you, but... And there's some truth to that, that phrase. But it is God alone who can truly judge and lament at the same time. And that's what we're seeing him do here. Verse 9, there's summer fruit and harvest. The shout has ceased. Judgment has come. Judgment has finished. And there will be no one left to mourn. That's why the shout has ceased. And the normal celebrations of life, the joy that comes with the harvest in verse 10, all of those things have disappeared. There is no more. But verse 12, instead of returning and repenting and, and turning to the Lord, what we see is Moab will turn to their own false god. And so they weary themselves on the high place. They, they pray and they pray and they pray, but it's all for no good. Kamash is not God. He is a made-up imaginary being that they have cast out of stone or wood, and he's not capable of. Of doing anything to help them. The one who could. They continue to reject and despise. That account in verse 12. Uh, may bring your your memory to Elijah and the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, and all that the prophets of Baal were doing to prove themselves. To show that their God would answer. That their God was real. And so they were dancing around their altar. They did all kinds of stuff. They wearied themselves day all day long, and nothing happened. They got no response. Their God was not real. He was not there. Verse 13 and 14 just bring the judgment to its conclusion. God has spoken this in the past, but now he is saying this will occur in three years' time. So a, a specific timing of this prophecy is given to us, and Isaiah will do that two other times in the chapters to come more specifics given that help pinpoint these events in history.